Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Welcome back. Uh, We have a special guest on the podcast today. We have the Reverend Francine Young. She is currently the chair for the Commission on Ministry and most recently um, was serving at St. Luke the Evangelist, but she's transitioning out of that. Um, We sort of uh, affectionately refer to her as just a priest of all things in the Diocese of Texas because she has been involved in so many different ministries and has served the diocese in so many faithful ways Um, And so it's really a privilege to be able to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So this is is like the third, uh, uh, I guess, geez, maybe now the fourth that we've had in this kind of series of talking about discerning discerning our call to ministry, listening to to God. We've talked about the pastoral kind of side of that, of, of what does it mean to be called? We've talked about the theological side of it, getting into what we believe about apostolic succession and the apostolic tradition. And and then now we're kind of diving into the different orders of ministry. So in our last podcast, we um, talked to the Reverend Becky Sparks about her call to be a deacon, and she told us about that ministry. Um, And now we've asked you to be here to talk about um, the call to the priesthood and the ministry of a priest. And I hope that maybe you could start us off by just talking about your own call story and and sharing uh, with us uh, what that looked like for you. Okay. Well, I was warned not to give my entire spiritual autobiography, so I won't. But I do have to say that the first time I actually, the question came forward, was I was 21 years old. I was a junior in college. And at that time, I was actually leading a congregation because our priest had left. So I was the senior warden and um, was doing some, doing, you know, coordinating the programs, all the projects, etc. And that just felt like where I needed to be. You know, I was a social work major and doing things in the community. Uh, but at the time, that was several years ago, I was. Um, in, a, in another diocese that was not yet, not yet ordaining women. So I just decided to go on with my life and uh, continue to be active in the church, uh, as you mentioned earlier. So doing a lot of things, senior warden, treasurer, that ought to scare everybody. I was treasurer once. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> lay Eucharistic minister, lay visitor. Um, but I, it still felt um, like something was missing on Sundays and uh, during those special occasions. But like I said, I went on with my life, um, ended up in human resources, and I felt that there was not, there was, there was no work that I did that didn't lead me back to this call. So all the things that I did in human resources, all the work that I've done in social services are all things that I was able to draw upon. So, um, gee, I I always tell people it was 38 years between the time I first asked the question or someone raised it actually to to when I was ordained, 38 years. So um, if the call is there and it doesn't go away, um, I believe that God has the right timing in place. And um, uh, all all I did before, like I said, was has contributed to where I am today. 
Um, so, it, and it did take someone else helping to help me call that out. You know, Francine, are you still, is this something that you still feel called to? Yes, but I've been sitting on it. Well, let's explore that. So uh, I think that's very important for us to remember that it's not just us hearing a call. It's also affirmation from others about that. Mm-hmm. I hope that was helpful. Hey, what can you can you elaborate just a little bit, uh, particularly on who at first was kind of shepherding you along? Was it a priest in your life? Was it a friend? Was it a family member who was yeah. kind of shepherding that process along for you? Well, initially it was the priest who was about to leave. Um, and he said, "I know you're only 21 years old, but I know that you can run this, and I know that you can do this." And so uh, I'm going to have you be senior warden, even though that I'm leaving, but I want you to consider, uh, and I want to give you this experience so that you can consider what this is like and what it could be like and how, how, how you might fit into this. Cause I don't think people ever talk to young women, especially African-American women about this. And so he purposefully said, I want you to experience this and what it's like to run a church and uh, all the noise and the politics, as well as doing the services. So I, I did have to call in supply in order to do the worship services, but everything else I was responsible for. Now, needless to say, it was a small church, but here again, it was someone saying, I want you to go do this and experience this as part of my own discernment. I will say to Francine, to your same point, that was a similar story as I had very young. And, and I think I've shared this before, but just a quick reminder, it was about 16 that I, you'd asked me, I was going to go to the Air Force Academy and fly jets. I didn't care if they were big jets, fighter jets. I just wanted to fly. I love flying. Um, but I had this dream of kind of being a priest in a very profound way. And when I went and talked to my priest, he was like, I've been waiting on that. It's like, mm. I can see it in you. But what was the more powerful moment was when I started the discernment process in the Diocese of Georgia. And I sat around a table with a bunch of strangers from all over our kind of convocation, which is a small area of the diocese. And they say, yeah, we've been waiting for you. And then when I met with the bishop, I've been waiting for you. I've heard all about you. I've seen you. I've, I've watched you in different diocesan activities. It just kind of blew my mind that people were seeing something in me that I didn't necessarily see in myself or fully understand what was going on inside me. Uh, that was very affirming of a call to ministry. Yeah. And particularly- no, as, you're saying that, one of the, as you're saying that, one of the things, and I don't often tell this story, but it, because it is so spooky, but um, while I was wrestling back and forth, and this would have been like maybe 2006, 2007, so I was turning the diocese, and I used to get a magazine called Congregations, and on the front cover of that magazine was a flip phone, and it said, God Calling. I pulled the magazine out of the mailbox, dropped it on my bed, and my phone rang. And it was one of our bishops. I was like, what? <laughs> so it's, it's like, okay, people are going to think you've lost your mind. But I think one of the problems that we have is people are not willing to tell some of those stories because it does make them seem a little weird. But I will never, ever forget dropping that magazine on the bed and the phone ringing and, hello, this is Bishop so-and-so. When are we setting up our appointment? I was like, uh, you know, so... Um, <laughs> It's really quite right now. We're setting it up right now. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So what might be interesting, Francis, kind of parallel to what we're talking about, ordination of the priesthood, but just, I think, to tie into a little bit with last week's episode with Becky, as Bryn alluded to, Becky left us um, 
talking about and trying to help understand the question in which you've, you've picked up on affirming, it's your call, and then the affirmation. Can you talk a little bit about your role on the commission, who the commission on ministry is, your role and your passion around the discernment process, particularly as it relates to the Diocese of Texas? And just so you kind of have a, an idea, you may have heard this on last week's podcast, Becky mentioned directly the discovery retreat, which I think is something interesting for our listeners here in Texas um, to understand. And also we can help people find that respective outlet in there, wherever they are around the church. Um, so that's a lot, but maybe you can just kind of help us talk through that a little bit. Kind of the- Yeah, so let me give a little bit of background. Uh, I'm thinking it was maybe like around 2014, we were noticing that there was a significant drop in the number of people coming forward um, to even talk about or be considered for uh, any ordained ministry. And so a um, couple of us got together and we created what was called the Discovery Retreat, because at the time in the diocese, there was a one day seminar that was held at the cathedral for anyone who might be interested. And I think it was maybe once a year. Um, so it wasn't really open to everyone or you know, it wasn't easy to get to. And it was mostly a panel discussion. So we decided that we would create something that would allow people to explore with others, because we, we talk about discernment being a community, explore with others uh, what they feel might be a call. So it's a uh, starts on a Friday, ends on a su- Sunday afternoon. Um, to, and we, 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 it's scripturally based, so we use a lot of scripture from Paul, and it's uh, also based on the work of uh, Dr. Reverend Dr. John Lewis and Reverend uh, Dr. Jane Patterson, who, who are at the Seminary of Southwest and also run Benedict's workshop. They were the first ones to help us pull that together. Um, and the intent here is to, to we actually talk about, um, we have, many of us have this perception that this conversation of call is between God and me, when it's between God, me, and are being affirmed by those who are around me and for whom and with whom I might be serving or who might be calling out something in me that I do not see. So we pay a lot of attention to that and then help people think about when were those situations, like my telling my own story, having them reflect on some of the stories they've heard, the, some of the stories that they've had, uh, people in their lives who said things to them that they may have ignored, uh, where do they really find joy? Like after they've done something, you know, what makes them feel fulfilled that they may have put aside and how do we build on that? So on that, the discovery retreat was created um, and sponsored by the um, Commission on Ministry as a way to help open the door for people to have a place, uh, a safe place to explore that. Now, I, I do know that a lot of people come in and they don't quite understand what is this discernment and community stuff, you know, because when we have people leave and we ask them what is it that they learned, a lot of them talk about realizing that discernment is in community and what are the things that we're looking for. The other thing that's important, I think, uh, from the commission standpoint is we pretty much we follow almost to the letter the canons of the national church around ministry. There's a, we have national canons and uh, we've actually, for the sake of being transparent, we've put those canons on the diocesan website for the ordination process. So that if anyone wants to go in and look at those, they can click on it and actually see the very specific canons that drive the um, discernment and ordination process, not only in our diocese, but within, within the church in the U.S. So we try to make sure that we stay pretty close to that 
um, and ensure people that we are following um, the guidelines of the church and that we're not just, you know, making stuff up as we go um, to ensure that we are aligned with building, building and creating and identifying leaders to serve the church, the broader church, not just my parish, but the broader church. And I, that's, that's also another thing that I find people are surprised about is that when we're raising up priests and deacons or anyone, uh, any of the ordained clergy, it's not just for your church, your church, your congregation. It's for the broader church because most of us do not go back to our home parishes uh, once we are ordained. We are ordained for the broader church. And that's um, usually a, a new learning for many of the people. Uh, I didn't get into the details of the structure of the Commission on Ministry, but happy to go there when you're when you're ready. Well, one of the things I was going to piggyback on, and then I need to hush and let Bryn ask really good questions, because that's what <laughs> Bryn does on Lit. She asks the better questions. <laughs> the one thing that I will say in piggybacking on which, which you shared with us is that I think one of the reasons it's hard for folks to understand that we're called to the broader church and we're not just raising up leaders in our own congregations is because a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters, and there's nothing wrong with their process. A lot of times do raise up local pastors to follow in the steps of maybe a lead pastor, a founding pastor. That's not an uncommon practice. Absolutely. One of the things in the Anglican tradition that's goes way back is, and like many liturgical traditions, we raise up leaders for the broader uh, the broader church, not just respective congregations or even dioceses. Uh, one of the beautiful things that's going to happen. So here at St. Luke's, my assisting priest, Jim Cook, his son-in-law is graduating from Seminary of the Southwest. He will be ordained uh, a deacon and then a presbyter. Um, he'll be a curate here in the diocese, but who knows where he'll go after that? You know, the Diocese of Texas may love him, but God may call him elsewhere. Um, and that's just the beauty of, of our process is this work that Francine's been a part of that we do as a diocese of listening and encouraging people is for the broader church. And that's something that I always want to highlight. And the second thing I want to highlight to you, what you said, Francine, just to kind of repeat this periodically through this, this, our time together is it is so important. And, and albeit sometimes it's frustrating for people. You've got to, you've got to hear your call affirmed by the larger church. Uh, that's just part of it. You've got to enter into those conversations. It can't just be about, well, I'm called because I know I'm called. It has to be, I feel called and let me now listen to folks, listen to me, and let's listen to the Holy Spirit and God working in our lives together to better help me understand who God's calling me to be. And if there really is a call to vocational ministry within that, or is there something else? And that's what's beautiful about the discernment process here in the Diocese of Texas is it's not just a yes, no. It's a, here's what we're hearing. And it may be affirming what you felt inside your whole life. As the three of us were felt called to be priests, we went through various processes and dioceses and we were affirmed. Sometimes I have friends who are very faithful ministers in the church, but they're not in vocational ministry. And it was because of discernment. Absolutely. And they got a clear picture of where they were called. And now they're doing fantastic work for the sake of the gospel that's totally different than maybe what they thought going into the discernment process. So it's such an important step. Um, and it, and I, I commend the diocese of Texas uh, for their work and their intentionality around that process. Yeah. Uh, just as a comment, one of the things that um, we try to also uh, stress in the discovery retreat is um, 
lay leadership is critical in our church. And for us to think that only we should be ordaining, I mean, uh, we should be discerning for ordained ministry is not what we stress during the discovery retreat. And so I always have people, we start out with reading the uh, catechism, who are the ministers of the church. And the first group of people mentioned um, is the ministry of the laity, because our churches would not operate, would not function without the ministry of the laity. And so it's very, very important that we understand that we have, you know, response, we have different responsibilities, but we are all critical to the success and uh, the ministry of the church through Christ. And um, I just hope people feel that um, their call as a lay leader, uh, whether that's vestry, whether that's doing the finances, whether that's running a nonprofit on behalf of the church, those are all critical and all different ways that Christ shows up in the world. Um, So I do ask people, can you do your ministry and be successful without having a collar around your neck? And that is an important question. Do I have to have a collar around my neck in order to be a successful representative of church and Christ in the world? Mm-hmm. And that'll be, that's something to ponder. <laughs> yeah. I love that you highlighted the fact that, um, that discernment is around what your particular call is um, and that all are called because I think sometimes we, we, I guess we just forget that we sort of emphasize these different orders of ministry of deacon, priest, and bishop. And then we think that those are the ministers of the church. Um, but those are such a, a small minority really of, of the, the body of Christ. And I, I'm really thrilled that this diocese has taken seriously as have many others, um, but have, you know, the way in which this diocese has taken seriously (laughs) wanting to help um, people discern with other people, you know, not to have to discern alone. Um, and and that the result of that discernment might be any number of different um, ways of, of understanding their vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, in my own um, context of different churches where I have served, there have been people who have felt deeply called to a a true Christian vocation who have been teachers, who have been business people, who have been um, cooks, who have been house cleaners. Um, And uh, I just, I think it's worth emphasizing, especially as we're talking about ordained ministry, um, that we believe really all are called and that we are all called to a vocation and that vocation is just simply serving serving Christ and his church in some way um, and that that might not be inside the church. No, exactly right. Exactly right. And so you make a good point, which is what we try to stress is that we are all called to something. And the question is, what is that? It's not all the same thing. And even if we may have given the name the same thing, it, we, it, we show up in different ways, depending upon the situation, who we're serving, who God has put in front of us, uh, what, what is the need at the time. And so uh, we have to have, we really need to broaden our view of what does it mean to be called and what does it mean to serve and in what capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious in your own call, um, 
how did you know that you were called to the priesthood? Um, I, I think for people who are um, newly thinking about our different orders of ministry in the in the Anglican tradition, I think there's this question of, well, how do you know if you're supposed to be a deacon or a priest or a bishop? Um, how do you discern that? Um, and it's hard to it's hard for me to answer that for anybody other than how I discerned it for myself. Uh, so I wonder if you can you can say a little bit about how you knew that you were called to the priesthood and and not to another order of ministry. Yeah, it's interesting. I could have probably um, I st- I th- I, have, I think I have a deacon's heart because my work in the church started as in a small Episcopal church in the middle of the inner city, and we had lots of programs in the as a part of that. But I was I was um, as I was helping to, to pull this church together and making sure that the programs were running, it also, it, it also created in me a very sad, a, a, a deep sadness when we got to the point of the service where I couldn't help serve, when I couldn't help, and by serve, I mean be a part of the Eucharist uh, and having to turn that over to someone else to do, it felt that there was something missing there for me. Um, or during a baptism, I can hold a book, <laughs> um, but I couldn't be a part of, of that. So it felt as if that, those, those, that was missing. Um, another thing, too, that was shocking to me, um, I never participated in a funeral until I was ordained. And, th- and then I took on a whole different view of that of helping someone transition from this world to the next was an incredible experience for me. Now, can I do that as a lay person? Yes, but there are parts of that transition that I needed to be ordained in order to do. The Eucharist, the blessing, I mean, and, and all of that. And it never does. So when people tell me, what do you like about ministry? I don't like that. But to know that some that we have walked with someone through that journey to eternal life is unbelievable. And I never would have known that until actually having to get in it or to be a part of it and a part of it and stop. Right. Um, so and turning that over to some to someone else to do felt like a huge takeaway for me. So I know sometimes that sounds a little gory to people, but. That was a huge eye opener that said, look at what God is calling you to do. I'm not uncomfortable sitting with that person who is about to transition and to give them absolution and, you know, as they're, as they're making that change. And someone just yesterday I went to visit, we were talking about, um, she says, what should you expect when I die? I'm like, well, I haven't died yet, so I don't know, but let's talk about the uncertainty and what is it that, where is our faith in this? And, and just having that conversation so that she can be a little bit more comfortable. None of us are completely comfortable. And then doing the absolution so that she knows that it's when it's time that it's that she will be okay. And that's kind of interesting. This might be, it's, it's great that you sh- shared that, Prantine, because I think if we might pivot here for the remainder of our time together and talk specifically about the priesthood which you just yeah. alluded to in the journey of walking somebody to eternal life is uh, one of the most powerful things that sometimes we 
presbyters are a part of that is that is just remarkable. Um, and there's nothing gory about it. It's just as 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 one of my old country parsons, <laughs> fancy word for old country word for a priest used to tell me, that's just beautiful. It's just beautiful if we believe <laughs> in the resurrection, then we know as they journey in this life that that's not the ending. That's just a new mm-hmm. beginning. It's a mm-hmm. it's a new life in Christ, and to be a part of that is always powerful. And I think Bryn, you and I talked about that recently when we talked about the 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 services leading up to the burial of the dead, and then the actual burial liturgy. Uh-huh. Um, as being so resurrection oriented that it's just beautiful. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, yes, uh-huh. and it, there's grief involved, but there's also this beauty and this uh, the thin place, I think, in many ways. So let me look. I always include the Easter, oh, go ahead, I always include the Easter liturgy. I always include the Easter liturgy in every service that I do, just so that people remember and understand why this is sad, but it's also joyful. You know, the sadness is a selfishness, but there's this joyful. Anyway, I wanted to just, I was, I was in the service. Well, I'm going to read from the examination uh, for the priesthood on the ordination of a priest on page 531. And if y'all, my listeners will remember last week, um, Brynn and I, we shared from the examination of a deacon. And we're going to make some comparisons and talk specifically. And I think what I'm about to read is going to highlight in a very specific way the examples that Francine just shared with us. So middle of the page, as a priest, it will be your task to proclaim by word and deed the gospel of Jesus Christ and to fashion your life in accordance with its precepts. You are to love and serve the people among whom you work, caring alike for young and old, strong and weak, rich and poor. You are to preach to, you are to, preach, to declare God's forgiveness to penitent sinners, to pronounce God's blessing, to share in the administration of holy baptism and in the celebration of the mysteries of Christ's body and blood and to perform the other ministrations entrusted to you. And what Francine just shared in her journey with uh, individuals towards the, towards eternal life, we do much of that in that moment. We preside over the Eucharist is something Brendan and I talked about when we talked about the Holy Eucharist a few episodes back, well, more than a few episodes back. Earlier in this season of the podcast, that's one of the places where as presbyters and priests, we perform a very particular function. Uh, And I'm going to come back to the relationship to the bishop in a minute, but we perform a very, in consecrating those elements um, and and consecrating that sacrament, we listen to confession. We talked about that actually not too many episodes ago. It's one of the jobs that we do. And what was interesting about Francine, about you sharing that is that's a lot of what we do in a very, uh, not necessarily fast way, but sometimes it happens rather quickly uh, for individuals who might be nearing uh, eternal life, that they seek mm-hmm. those things out in particular. They seek out Holy Communion. They seek out confession. Uh, and it's very interesting in that in that part of, of our life, a lot of times we priests show up to do very specific things we're actually called to do. And they're quite powerful uh, in their own right. So when I mentioned I'll go back to the discovery retreat. I'll go back to the discovery retreat, just not to the retreat, but discernment process in general. 
Um, one of the things that we have people do during the discernment process with their discernment committee is to actually read the ordination of a priest and read the ordination of a deacon and have that be part of their discussion. So that just like you did, um, Justin, they can make the distinction between well, where is it that I I'm, and what can I commit to, right? Um, Basis what I'm being called or, or, be, or making a promise to do. So we do have people do that so that they're not signing up in a vacuum, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, and that's I think that's incredibly helpful. And as we read last week, um, there is a distinction between those two examinations. Right. What's more interesting for us to explore, I think, especially the three of us, given that we're all presbyters, uh, just for a moment, and I, we touched on this a little bit, and then we don't have to go back there, but I still am I'm still really thinking about last week's conversation and now this week, that I'm still a deacon and a priest. And Absolutely. when you read these two examinations, it's quite powerful what what we're called to do or what we've essentially signed up for, as <laughs> put another way, uh, by accepting the examination, accepting those vows of ordination. Um, and I would love for us just to talk a little bit about, maybe pick that back to Brent. I know this would be a repeat for us, but just to talk a little bit about that. And I think Francine has done that. Uh, and by way of saying last week, we particularly talked about how the deacon carries the gospel out into the world. And then the service does that very thing, brings the needs of the world to bear on the church and invites people into that place. And then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, then in the priesthood, we keep that and now we bring a very sacramental life to bear on that. And I think there's something really powerful in there uh, when you think about the needs of the world and the actual work of the gospel coupled with the sacraments and what the sacraments bring to our spirituality and to our life uh, as we go out and serve the world. Does that, does that make sense? Like thinking about that, it's really quite, to me, it's a very beautiful collision of, of these two ordinations. Uh, if you're following me, I don't know who follows me, but if you're following me, that's where my mind is. I uh, know it makes a lot of sense. If the, the deacons role, you know, they take the gospel out, but they also bring those things into the church. What should we be paying attention to? What's going on out in the world outside of this brick and mortar church that we as Christians need to be addressing? So it doesn't mean that the deacon then goes out and creates their own outreach program. Usually they're the ones who give voice to something that the church needs to be doing. So we create the outreach program to address the issue that the deacon brought up. Or we go out there because there's a need that the deacon has pointed us to um, that otherwise may not be may not be addressed. So um, I'm always protective of the deacons when someone says, oh, I need a deacon to do pastoral care. It's like, no, that's not their job. <laughs> that's your job and and trained um, um, Eucharistic visitors. But the deacon may help us identify where is that need so that then we can go out and address it. And so I think that, that uh, if we saddle if we saddle them with only doing the programs and only, then they're not they're not able to be out there and point back into the church the, all the different things that we should be paying attention to. And then we, as the priest and the lay leaders, discern of those things. Where are we called to help address? Where do we then go and respond to that? Anyway, I don't know if that makes sense as well, but that's how I think about that. I, I think it is, and for me. It, to, to me, the real collision of this happens at the table when mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at the table and we're partaking 
uh, and getting nourishment, or as like as Bishop Doyle likes to say, um, food for the journey, food for the journey, yeah. for work. And it's something he says, I feel like he says it all the time. Um, well, you know, the other thing too is um, as we talk more and more about going out into the world, out out into the community. Food for the table or taking that table out of the church to those places where people otherwise would not be. I mean, where, where people are. So um, I don't mind taking that, um, taking those, t- taking communion outside of the walls of the church to a group of people who would not otherwise be served or who, for whatever reason, don't want to come into that gate because something happened to them many years ago in the church. And so they have all this other stuff going on. But once identified how how, it's okay for me to bring, here's another way to do that. I can still take that outside and serve those who otherwise would not be served. And I thank you, Deacon, for bringing that to my attention and helping us serve those people. And that's a little scary to do communion in the park, but it happens. (laughs) It happens in the parking lot, sure. And under the overpass and, a lot of places it happens in a very beautiful way. Yeah. One of the things I love about this conversation is just seeing the way in which all of the different ministers of the church come together to love God and, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And that we really rely on each other, that the church is made up of all of these different people. Um, and that we don't have um, our different orders of ministry aren't, divisions you know they aren't dividing lines like this is your job and this other thing is mine i mean you know in in my house uh i generally cook dinner and my husband washes the dishes um <laughs> you know <laughs> and and in some ways we we can think of our our churches in that same way, you know, that like the deacon sets the table, but then the priest presides over it and think of it as like a division of labor, but it's not actually, I mean, and just like it isn't in a family, you know, my, my husband and I both are serving each other and serving the good of our family by doing different things, but we're serving the same good. Uh, And I think that's, you know, true in, in our ministry in the church too. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why I also when I um, I also go back to the catechism, because the first sentence for who is the ministry of the laity, what is the ministry of the bishop, it all starts with the same sentence. It says the ministry of laypersons is to represent Christ and his church, right? Bear witness. What's the ministry of the bishop? The ministry of the bishop is to represent Christ and his church. It's the first sentence for all three. So we have the same foundation. We end up doing a division of labor, as you indicated. Mm-hmm. Well, and the one thing I, I want I want to point out as we kind of wrap up, just because I brought it up last week, and I want to connect the dots. So the bishop, where's the bishop and the presbyter collide? Last week we talked about deacons working at bequest of the bishop, that the bishop can place deacons where where the bishop might sense there's a need, or or where maybe they need to help us as a church respond. And I shared that story of the Diocese of Georgia when I was in seminary. We had, uh, Francine, we had a couple of counties where some businesses shuttered in a very agricultural area. And uh, the bishop at the time took all the deacons that were around those two counties and reassigned them into that area to assess needs and to, to help the church respond 
Um, and it was powerful. I said it lasted about, I think it lasted about six months. And then the deacons were more or less placed right back where they were in their parishes. Uh, but I remember, uh, to, to my knowledge, not any one of those deacons, even the ones who'd been serving and been assigned to a congregation for 20 years, complained or was upset that they saw their vocation to be, uh, uh, as the examination says, servanthood directly under their bishop. And they followed exactly where the bishop called. Now, in the examination of the priesthood, it changes slightly, and there's some nuances to this. But now it says, now you are called, and this is the examination of the priest. Now you are called to work as a pastor, priest, and teacher together with your bishop and your fellow presbyters. A couple of things are really important in that. One is the, the partnership of all the presbyters together, which is what we just talked about. There's no divisions, even amongst deacons and priests, priests and bishops. We're all and the laity, we're all in this together. We're just might have slightly different nuanced callings of what we're what we're what we're what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this is, as the rector of St. Luke's on the Lake Episcopal Church, canonically, I stand at that altar in place of Bishop Doyle, or in in lieu of Bishop Doyle. He cannot yet that I know of, Francine. Although if there's a bishop who will do this, he'll figure it out. Where he can be at 170 plus congregations at one time. And that would so, be very scary. <laughs> and the bishop has a direct relationship to me in that in, as it relates to conduct. Um, I mean, he has that role, but he's also a pastor to me. Um, he's also right. somebody who, when I'm in a pastoral, as was, was as happened, I had COVID back in December. Both Bishop Doyle and Bishop Kay, our suffragan bishop in this region of our diocese, called me almost daily and checked in on me and my daughter, Brooklyn. Uh, And that was because I was going through something and they pastorally responded as they do. And that also means, unlike deacons, that the bishop, unless there's some issue, uh, won't pull you, can't pull you out like a deacon, pull you out of a congregation. That when we, we as presbyters discern a call, which is how my life and Francine's life first collided, Francine probably doesn't know this, but Francine was with me at a time where I was wrestling and I felt that uneasiness um, about a call, potentially a new call. Didn't know where, but a new call. And I remember picking up the phone and talking to Francine and Francine being that calm. This must be your HR side. See, you were always doing ministry, Francine. (laughs) That calm asked really good questions, gave me homework to go back and contemplate for several months. Mm -hmm. And then we talked again. And then things started in our kind of discernment together, things started to happen with the bishop's blessing, uh, of course. And if I had looked or ended up outside of the diocese, there would have been another bishop involved giving their blessing on that discernment as well. And I think that's the, that's a really big difference between a deacon and how they are called or, or directed and how presbyters are uh, discerning their calls as it relates to actual parish ministry or any ministry, not just parish, but even school chaplains, hospital chaplains. We go through a very similar discernment process. And we have people like Francine, who at that particular time was working in transition ministry to continue to help us shepherd. And I think that's the common thread when we talk about discernment. There's a discernment to ministry, perhaps, to some form. There's always discernment to some kind of ministry, whether it be one of the orders of ministry or not. But even as an ordained presbyter, I rely on people around me. I rely on Bryn, a good friend of mine. I rely on Francine, my colleagues, as the examination says, to help me listen and discern 
where God's calling me in, in, in leading St. Luke's um, and helping lead St. Luke's with the lay leaders, but also where I might be called in the broader church. Right, right. And, I, and you make a really good point that, that I'd like to stress also is that we continue to discern. Um, you know, one door closes and another one opens. And so I think we always have to be open to, and what am I being called to next? And that calls me to, you know, seek out other opinions and seek out other views and other affirmations, you know, like my leaving my St. Luke in Houston. It's like been there for 10 years, right? But I know that there's something else on the horizon and I need this little break in between there. Um, so what is that? How do I discern what that's going to be? So I'm going to be all ears listening <laughs> because others may be picking up things that I miss. And so we have to continue to keep that open. Uh, and, and that discernment is ongoing. It is completely ongoing. Well, I think, Brent, if I think this is a good place for us to pause and, and think about uh, what's next, which is we'll be talking about the ordination of a bishop. And, and it looks like we're going to have, I don't want to spoil it. It looks like we're going to have uh, a special guest for that conversation as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Francine, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing yourself and your ministry and your call and all the wonderful work you do in the diocese of Texas and with us, me and Bryn. Yep. yep. Thank yeah. you. My pleasure. I just want to leave with people that um, we have updated the website for the ordination process and uh, it has step-by-step information in there. And I tell those who are uh, discerning for ordination and and our lay leaders as well, look at that. And so it's it's part of the discernment to help you see what's in, what's out. The canons are in there as well so that um, people can get a better understanding of what's required by the larger church as well. Now, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. So if anybody's listening to this and they want to check that out, um, you can just go to the to the notes and we'll make sure that there's a link for that as well. And And I would say to anybody who's listening anywhere in the world, if you are looking for discernment resources, reach out to me and Bryn, as we always say, we will we know people. We know people everywhere. That's the beauty of the Anglican Church. And we will connect you. And if you're in the United States or in one of the areas that's covered by the Episcopal Church, uh, we can find the bishop and the diocesan folks in your area and help connect you with them. Because we, as you probably clearly heard in this episode, all three of us are big proponents of discernment and continued discernment, whether it's into one of the orders of ministry or not. And we want to help you find those resources. So we will link the Diocese of Texas information in our show notes. And don't hesitate to email us. And we we will help you get connected with people in your area who can help you uh, with discernment. So until next time, everybody have a great rest of your week. Lit is a production of the Reverend Brent Vaughn and Justin Yon, Episcopal Priest in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership.